What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Gifted Hoops podcast. This is episode 37, I believe, of the Gifted Hoops podcast. Obviously, y'all, it's been a while since I've done live content. I've had like some health issues, but we're officially back, and I'm happy to be here today to be discussing Wizards basketball. I'm joined here with a guy that I literally just met, and I'm happy to have this conversation about his team. Greg, feel free to introduce yourself to the people. He's a passionate Wizards fan who does great analysis of the X's and O's for his team. Say hello to the people. What's good? Um, first, uh, thanks to, to Gifted for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, my name is Greg Finberg. Uh, I am just a big Wizards fan. You know, I, I, co- I cover them on Twitter or my Twitter at Greg Finberg. Uh, I've been doing this probably since like my senior year of high school. So like two or two years ago, just started tweeting about the Wizards. You know, obviously I'm a fan. I just enjoy watching my team. I felt like, you know, if my brother or my dad enjoy listening to what I have to say, other people will too. So Start tweeting about it, um, breaking down games, offering my keys to the games, my takeaways from every game, live tweeting each game. And it's grown to something where I've, I've grown a decent following. And, you know, I just enjoy coming on Twitter during Wizards games and talking with a bunch of other people who share my passion for, for this team. You know, obviously, we haven't been that great in recent years, but still love them. Still love the team, man. Absolutely. And I got to say, Greg, like, I just love the passion and the integrity that you bring to the conversation. I mean, basketball is just hoops. And guys, for full transparency, I literally texted this man yesterday. And he was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And I'm like, okay, great. So we're now here on the podcast to officially break down that team. Um, Make sure to tap in, Greg. Are there any links you want the people to know about? Yeah, so my Twitter is the main place you can find me, at Greg Finberg, G-R-E-G-F-I-N-B-E-R-G. Just post all my Wizards content there. Uh, I write for Bullets Forever, which is a part of SB Nation. It's a publishing for the Wizards, write articles for them. And then um, I also have started my own podcast about a month ago. It's called The Wizards Podcast. Very simple name, you know, straight to the point. You're going to get Wizards content. You're going to get it weekly. So you can find me at, at those places. Absolutely. And ironically enough, y'all, that's literally how I found him. Literally, Greg, I typed in Wizards content creator, scrolled down, found your page, ooh, podcast, click, played a couple of his episodes. I just like the way that you break those things down. So this conversation mm-hmm. is going to be a full breakdown on your team. Uh, for the people who are watching this on YouTube side, appreciate all the support. Uh, we are approaching the start of the nba season so a lot of these episodes are going to ramp up in volume make sure to follow this podcast on apple podcast spotify and also the youtube side for the video version and let's get right into it i think so okay i think the best place to start is acknowledging what the current vision or the build has been for the past five or six years i would say in my opinion this really started with John Wall and Bradley Beal but obviously as John Wall got more banged up Bradley Beal became the guy that really took over the reins from that uh I'm curious about your thoughts covering the team at that point when it was John Wall as your best player look John was arguably the best Wizards player I've ever seen he was so fast with the ball control the entire game control the pace of play led the nba in assists i don't know if the one the last time before that the wizards had someone lead the nba in assists he was constantly in that nine to ten assist range you know really facilitating making it so much easier for everyone around him and this all started back in like 2013 2014 when you got like two or three years under his belt to start developing 
and and it really culminated with that 2017 year and the way the wizards were built around john and eventually around brad it all started with the draft and when you're a small market team i wouldn't say the wizard are a small market team but not a lot of people for some reason want to come to dc so they have to operate as if they are a small market team which means they have to build through the draft when no free agents want to sign here so they were able to do that by getting the first overall pick the third overall pick with beal and eventually the third overall pick with Porter. And like the Sixers, they missed on some guys. They drafted Jan Vesely sixth overall, passing on guys like Kawhi and, and Giannis. But they hit on enough players to where they had a solid base for their roster. And all they had to do was branch out and fill the roles around them. They had John and Brad in that backcourt. And to be honest, they had an elite passer and they had an elite shooter. At the time, Brad, right now, people think of him as a three-level scorer. He's very good at just controlling where he gets in terms of getting to his spots but back then he was kind of a spot-up shooter could occasionally take it to the rim but he was still an elite shooter so it was a nice pairing in the backcourt uh and then you bring in Otto Porter who had a career year in 2017 shot over 42 percent from three really came into his role as a three and d guy to fill that small forward hole you had Markeith Morris who was that bruiser stretch four that could bring the ball out it was efficient from three but also you know brought the physicality and made sure nobody like messed with this team brought that culture to the Wizards and Marcin Gortat who I always say I always blamed him at the time but looking back on it now he was probably one of the most underrated and unsung heroes for that team the amount of screens he set for John I can't even tell you how many mm. he rolled to the basket always be in the right spot he wasn't that great on defense but he'd rebound the ball he'd box out and he just did his job and on a contending team, you need someone like that. The one issue with this roster construction was always the bench, which it, it usually is. As you look at a team like the Sixers, who have never seemed to get it right. Brandon Jennings was the backup point guard. Not ideal. He He's an okay backup. He's a career backup, but he didn't provide that same juice that John did. And the drop-off from the first second unit was really tough. We, we traded Andrew Nicholson at the deadline in a first for Bojan, Bojan Bogdanovic, who was a great pickup, really came along during the playoffs, especially in game six against the Celtics. He was really good uh, to save our season and bring it to seven in Boston in 2017. Uh, oh, wait, but he that, was really that's good one off of the, the best playoff series I've ever seen real quick. I don't mean to, you know, <laughs> yeah. cut you off, but that was a very competitive that, series. Coming from like a team that, ha that doesn't make the playoffs too often, that obviously to me is the best series I've ever watched. I still feel like we had it. We were, we were so close. If Kelly Olynyk doesn't turn into LeBron in Game Seven, we are moving Crazy. on. We're probably yeah. We're probably losing to the Cavs in the conference and LeBron in the conference finals. But it would have been the first conference finals we made since 1978. So I would have considered it a win for me. Um, but look, you have another guy like Kelly Oubre off the bench. Someone we also drafted, traded Jerry and Grant on draft night for him, and uh, I think I don't even back in 2015, I think. He came along during that season, eventually got ejected and suspended for the Kelly Oubre uh, incident where he decked him for some reason. But, you know, that was three guys off the bench. And and after that, we didn't really have much juice there. And I think that was the eventual um, where we fell off in terms of a team. The first six guys were really good, but the fall off between the first unit and the second unit was a little too tough to overcome, especially when we faced deeper rosters uh, like Boston in the playoffs, like Atlanta sometimes in the playoffs. Uh, but look, if if a couple plays go the right way with that era, we are we are looking at a conference finals and maybe at a finals appearance. If you look at 2015, we were up two to one on the Hawks, and John Wall fractured his wrist, was out for the rest for pretty much the rest of that series. 
Uh, eventually lost to Atlanta in six. In that series, Al Horford, two-hand shoves, Nene in the back in game five. No call. They win on pretty much a buzzer beater. That's another thing that was tough to watch. You look at the 20... Look at the um, the Wizards when we had Paul Pierce, uh, I believe, in 2015. It's the same thing. Like, game six, Paul Pierce hits that shot. If he shoots it a second later, like a millisecond earlier, and it leaves his hand before the buzzer goes, we're back in Atlanta for game seven. Potentially have a healthy John Wall. There's so many things, like like I mentioned with Kelly Olynyk that had to go the wrong way, and they did. For us to not be able to reach that conference finals, I'm still happy with how our roster was built. And I'm, I'm happy because we had four to five years of really solid stability and always pretty much being in the playoffs and advancing to the to the second round. We didn't lose in the first round with John Wall and Bradley Beal until 2018 when we lost to the Raptors. So we always had the success in the playoffs. It's just we didn't have enough to get over that hump. I think you really summarized the John Wall era in D.C. pretty well. Uh, from my opinion, John Wall was one of the most explosive guards in the league. His passing, I mean, the way that he just created multiple opportunities for guys. He made Gortat, you know, at the time, this guy that could be a, a, a double-double guy just based on how he leveraged him in the pick and roll and really gave him the ball in the right spots. And John Wall and Bradley Beal fit each other perfectly because Bradley Beal came in the league as like an off-ball shooter to where he would just move off the ball and take shots, you know, at volume. And by the way, at the time, three-point shooting was still like amping up to where things are now. And Bradley Beal, even back then, was a very efficient marksman. And with John Wall specifically, the two-way ability as well is how you guys will push pace off of every rebound and just the the fervor to his commitment to the team in terms of his locker room and his leadership like it was felt and there was stability to this team i think what hurt them was the ultimate end goal of the roster construction finding consistent go-to wing scoring and the bench i think all of those three things made it hard for this team to make deeper postseason runs but ultimately the injuries were really the biggest thing i mean john wall really had tough stretches of just injuries after injuries that kept him sideline for a super long time and honestly because of that that's what opened up the room for Bradley Beal to become a different player than we thought he could be because I thought Bradley Beal was pretty good I wasn't sure of how good he could be and once John Wall goes down and Bradley Beal has the ball in his hands as your main creator you really saw the leap in his game. What did it feel like seeing Bradley Beal take that leap after John Wall went down? I wouldn't call it a blessing in disguise for Brad when John got hurt, because obviously like, it's never good when someone gets hurt. I'd say it was just like beneficial for him to have that free reign where he was handling the ball and can work on his handles instead of just playing off the ball and having John dictate every move offensively. He had more space on the floor to operate. Uh, you know, everything just opened up for him. And look, in 20, 2015, 16, he was at 17 a game. Was around that from 2012 to then during his uh, rookie season. Always in the teens, kind of. Good, decent shooter, but never really transitioned into much else. And then you see him kind of ascend in that 2016, 17 season, even next to John. Uh, averaging career numbers, put up 23 points per game that season. A six-point jump which was awesome to see. And honestly, at that time, John was the best player on our team by a mile. 
was about to earn that max contract extension. But Brad was a close second. And then when you move into the next season in 2018, John put on a lot of weight. He tried to get stronger. I think that actually hurt his game, made him slower. You know, he was more, more known for his speed and his agility. Didn't need to do that. And then he starts to get hurt. You know, so we see bone spur injuries, stress fractures, all of these little things that emerge with Wall. And Beal really has free reign to be himself on the floor. Gets up to 25 points per game that season. And then John tears his Achilles. We lose, to the, well, we, lose, we lose to the Raptors in 2018. John tears his Achilles. And from there, Brad just transitioned into a different man. Back-to-back 30-point-per-game -back seasons. Somehow did it make the All-Star team one. Like, I get it. Your team sucks. But you're averaging 30 a game. You should automatically be an All-Star. But that's besides the point. Nonetheless, Brad became a three-level scorer. He could obviously shoot. Honestly, his shooting dropped from when he yeah. was playing with John to when he's playing now. He's not as efficient from three, and he's he's always struggled with that ever since. I don't know if it's because no one's giving it to him on that silver platter. His shots are not as efficient. But the three-point shot was something that slightly dropped off. Other than that, his mid-range is one of the best in the league. I put him up there with DeRozan, you know, type players that are lethal from the mid-range. He can get to that spot, score. He can score from the perimeter, and he can get to the bucket. That was the biggest thing. Putting it on the deck and taking it to the hole, he had never really done that. Like Occasionally, he might, but with John, he was a perimeter player. Without John, he was a three-level scorer, and that brought him from a solid player in this league to an all-star, to an all-NBA player, to a $50 million per year player. So, I wouldn't call it a blessing in disguise, but he definitely benefited from the fact that John, out, John being out gave him free reign to be himself on the floor and turn into a three-level scorer. I like everything you said. Uh, Bradley Beal is a player that I looked at a lot after John Wall went down because in my mind, it's like, okay, this roster isn't that great, but what can Bradley Beal do to help elevate it? And it's funny because, like you said, in his 30 points per game season, for the most part, his shooting wasn't as efficient as before. And I think... A part of that is also like the defensive coverages towards him were drastically different than with John Wall being the uh, person to bend that defense. But ultimately, yeah, he was getting, yeah, he was getting double and triple team like every game. Yeah, every like, game. like just super consistently. But ultimately, while that might have have come down, his go get a bucket mindset fully developed in terms of I'm gonna go to the rim and. His biggest thing, which is why he averaged 30 to me, is he, he was getting to the free throw line. He just found ways to get to the line consistently at his size, trying to finish amongst the trees. And his three-level scoring was still there. Like, I specifically remember many plays where the year where he took home the scoring title, he just found ways to just get to that short corner, stop and pop, fall away mids and just get to the basket when you do those types of things even if you're not shooting as officially from three teams still looked at bradley bill and respected him as a shooter so he had free reign to get exactly to where he wanted to get to so that's a big part of why i feel like bradley bill had so much success even though the roster construction around him was pretty bad for the most part it wasn't really easy for him but then they make the trade for russell westbrook and I'm curious how you feel about this. I haven't talked about Russ with any DC fan after the trade. A lot of people were very surprised that he got traded from Houston to DC. But 
as a fan watching this team without John Wall, how did it feel to, to trade John Wall and then get Westbrook back? I mean, I'm I'm 19, so I only knew John Wall and Bradley Beal. I didn't know any of the other. I didn't even know Gilbert Arenas errors of the Wizards. When I started watching 2010, 2011, that's when John started playing. So that's all I knew. So obviously it was tough to see him traded. I was actually studying for my math test uh, and I got the tweet from Woj. John Wall was traded. I just sprinted to my dad. I was like, there's no way that we just traded him because the whole offseason, it was building up as we're finally running it back. Like We need at least one last run before we assess yeah. John and Brad are going to be back. For me, that was so exciting because as a fan, you're sometimes holding on to something that you know will never work, especially with John being injured and you know probably not being the same. We all kind of knew that it, we weren't going to really make too much noise, but you just, as a fan, you want to see that. So for them to get everyone excited about it, for them to literally the day before be at John Wall's Thanksgiving drive, pretend everything's okay, and then turn around and trade him, it was tough from a, a fan's perspective because we were all linked to John for so long. You know, he had grown up here with the team in DC. I pretty much grown up as a person with John on my team. So it was tough to see someone like that get traded out of the blue. Uh, but when you get a player like Russ back, it makes everything okay pretty soon. This man is a Hall of Famer, easy first ballot Hall of Famer. Only person, apart from, I believe, Oscar Robinson, Oscar Robertson to average a triple-double at that time. He came in here and he put up 22 points, 12 rebounds, 11 and a half assists. That's video game numbers. I, I can't even do that with my, my player in NBA. He, he completely took a... Horrible roster. When you look at the Wizards roster in 2020, 2021, they had Brad and they had, and they had Rust. Everyone else was not good. And they somehow squeaked in to make the playoffs. Now, granted, they were never going to do anything in the playoffs. They faced the Sixers, who were really good that season. Eight versus one. Somehow won a game back in D.C. I don't know how. Rui Hachimura had to go off that game for them to win. But they made the playoffs. And when you look at it from a perspective now with 2020 vision seeing what the result was i would not make that trade again and here's why the pick that we traded people don't understand the the gravity of what it like the handicap that it put on the wizards for the years to come we traded a protected first round pick to houston along with john wall for them to absorb his contract and to uh take him on and give us russ that pick is protected top uh, you know, top 12, then top 10, then top 8. So the Wizards never have the capability of trading that future pick because if it doesn't get conveyed, you can't trade back-to-back -back picks. And because that might not get conveyed, they, they weren't able to go all in for a player like Deontay Murray or other players like Donovan Mitchell that became available because they had didn't have that draft capital to be able to trade two, three, four future picks to teams. So that was one thing that really handicapped the Wizards from a trade perspective and look to do that and kind of mortgage that future with Brad and KP not getting that third star just to get a one season with Russ where look he provided very fun games people watched no one went to the games because it was COVID but he put up a triple double you made the playoffs you lost as the eight seed you weren't going anywhere it was a desperate trade for a team that didn't need to be desperate you could have traded Bradley Beal for four picks, four swaps, bunch of young talent, and moved on. But you didn't, and that's why we're here right now. We're rebuilding, and we're three years behind our rebuild than we should have been because we were making trades just so we can make the eight seed in the playoffs.
see, this is interesting because while I think Russ provided entertainment value during that season, I agree with you. I feel like the roster after John Wall went out was not good enough to compete with Bradley Beal. And I think that as good as Bradley Beal was for you to give him a you know contract of that size with a no trade clause at the end of it i mean it didn't feel like they were going to be able to move off of bradley beal for great value and they're also giving up that pick like you said which handicaps what they could really extend with bradley beal on their roster so to me after that season and you trade russ and you get back kuzma and then one year after that you also add Porzingis it still didn't feel like this team had like a clear direction with Bradley Beal for me it always felt like the writing was going to be on the wall to try to trade him and obviously like we'll get to like the trade but I'm with you on that because people have to understand Westbrook was a good player I think he provided a ton of value for that team but at the end of the day if you're a fan of the team you're hoping that this team has some type of clear path right like I would understand losing if we understand that, okay, we're going for these younger players in the draft, these are going to be our pieces. We're going to have a ton of uh, cap flexibility and asset flexibility. So in the next three years, we can go from this to like maybe like a top six or top you know five team in the Eastern Conference. So I feel you on that. And I wasn't expecting you to say that, honestly. It's tough to always like to admit when your team just makes a terrible mistake. And this is something that handicapped us. It could be a blessing in disguise just because trading all of the future capital we would have for a guy like Donovan Mitchell, I don't think that would have gotten us over the hump just because the rest yeah. of our roster wasn't constructed well enough like the Cavs were. Same goes for Deontay Murray. I mean, the Hawks made the playoffs as like the seven seed last season. Nobody, nobody wants that if you're going all in. You should at least be top four or five in the East at that point. So I'm not mad that because the results could have been bad, obviously looking back on it, but we were always in that middle spot where we were never good enough and never making that all-in move, and we were also never bad enough to get a really high pick and change the, you know, the way that people looked at this team. So it was either go all-in or rebuild, and we were just not doing that for three years, and I'm glad that we're doing it now, but looking back on it, it was just a desperate trade for a desperate GM that fi figured, you know, I need to do something here. It wasn't a long-term, you know, answer at point guard, and it didn't it didn't work out. We made the playoffs, but I would consider it a loss because of how that pick handicapped us for the future. And I got to tell you, for me personally as well, like, I feel like they missed the right time to go with the tank approach. Because can you imagine if they traded Bradley Beal last season before he started? <laughs> And you got a chance to take for Victor, like how how different your outlook on this franchise might have been. It sucks because from twenty from when John got hurt, the rebuild rumors started. Tear this stuff up. Let's just start over. We're never gonna win with Brad as number one option. With John back as an injury riddled point guard, never will be the same. And Ernie Grunfeld, who was the GM at the time. He had built this team. This was his team that he had constructed for a decade. And I understand that not wanting to break it down and rebuild, especially with pressures from owner until the to compete now with the guys we have, I'm sure. 
Ernie brought that to Ted and Ted was probably like, look, we can still win with John and with Brad. So they decided to run it back. And I'm okay with that in 2018, 2019, running it back because that was only two years removed from almost the conference finals appearance. And we were still decent as a team. But once you get into 2020, where you have Bradley Beal surrounded by Isaac Bonga and people that um, like Ish Smith starting next to him. Yep. The team was so bad that season, and we just decided we're not even going to trade Brad. We're just going to hopefully run it back with John when he gets healthy. And then the following season, you trade. That's where you should have done it. Teams like the Sixers were offering so many picks for Bradley Beal, and we didn't do it. it we held so on to him. for Bradley Beal back then. So, like, so much value. Yeah. You, you could have gone at least four first-round picks, at least four pick swaps, a bunch of young talent, and we decided not to do that. And we ran it back. We missed our chance. And then every deadline from there on out, you were getting the, pretty much the same offer from all of, the, all of these teams that wanted Bradley Beal. And it would have been perfect because, as you mentioned, his max contract, he didn't sign that until after the 2022 season. So he was on a player option for the, for the season before and the season before because we kept delaying the fact that we were going to give him that max contract. So it was perfect. He was on an expiring deal, only about $36 million, not too much, could match the salaries, and we can get draft capital. But we missed that opportunity. Tommy Shepard, who was the new GM for a couple of years, he decided he wanted to go with his vision of building around Beal, bringing in Russ, and, and just, you know, he's trying all these different things to make it work with Beal when in reality, he's building around a number two or number three option as his number one option, and that's why it was never going to work. Well said, man. I 100% feel that that same way because another part of this that doesn't get talked about as well is while John Wall is out and you guys are losing games, your draft pick that you're getting with Danny, with also Hachimura, I felt like their roles weren't clearly defined because the vision of the team wasn't clearly defined. And certain players to me weren't being used properly. Like, I love what Russ did and how he empowered his teammates while he was on this team, but the way Danny was being used was hurting my brain. Cause I'm like, why is he just like this, this guy that they wanna just catch and shoot when he can actually initiate offense at certain points. It felt like the development of some of your younger talent was kind of stunted based on the win now mindset on a roster that is a really younger roster that's filled with players that needed to, you know, find out what their roles were in the NBA. It didn't feel like a correct decision trying to win now, but also develop young talent. Normally, that doesn't work. I'm a Warriors fan. We got lucky because we have, you know, like a solid enough roster with, with you know, one, one younger guy who could do that. But trying to bring in multiple pieces and do all this and all that, it typically doesn't work out that well. That's what happens when you combine timelines. We have a we we drafted a bunch of players that had potential to be good but weren't there yet. And look, if you're going to try to win now with those picks, either trade them for guys that can help you now or draft the most NBA ready players. We decided to take guys like Troy Brown Jr., Rui Hachimura, Denny Avdia. All these guys are projects. They're going to take a couple years to to really like hone in their skills. And look at Rui now. He's one of the best players on a contending Lakers team. Denny Avdia is not. And that's because we haven't given him that level of dedication to his player development that we should have. 
Same goes for Troy Brown, and that's why he didn't work out here. We are trying to play him as a point guard when he's a shooting guard slash small forward. There were just so many things that we did wrong. And when you have guys like Denny and Rui that are being thrown into the fire when they're not ready, they're making all these mistakes, they're hurting the team right now, that doesn't lead to success. When other teams have experienced vets at that small forward position and we're starting a rookie Denny Avdia, we're going to get beat. And that's just going to happen. It sucks because I think Rui could have been a real piece here. I was really excited with that pick. The only issue is we didn't focus on Rui as a piece. We focused on Rui as a, a like answer to our right. problems at small forward, which we shouldn't have done. The same goes for Denny. We should have viewed them as long-term options and tried to develop them as best as possible. But Draymond Green said it perfectly. This was back in like 2020 when he was asked about the construction of the Wizards. He said what you just said. When you combine like talented vets that are trying to win now with young rookies that are not there yet, bad things happen. And that was when he was asked because the Warriors obviously have James Wiseman. They had a bunch of young players with all the, the picks that they had. Um, and they weren't playing. They weren't really contributing. And he said it's tough. And the Wizards didn't understand that. The one pick that has been good and that I've really liked is Corey Kispert. Took him 15th. One of probably the most NBA-ready prospect of that class. Shot 44% from three. Knows his role. Is one of the best cutters in the league. Defensively, he's not that great, but no one needs him to be. And that's because we drafted someone that was NBA ready that fit what we were trying to build here. If exactly. we had just done that and, and kept that philosophy throughout the John Wall era or even throughout when we were building around Brad, we would, of course, like with everything, our team was never good enough to win the finals, but we would have been so much better and a lot better off for the future if we had just, instead of taking the best player available or best player for our future, just take the most NBA ready player. There's nothing wrong with that. I, hey, listen, I'm happy you brought up his name, and I promise we're going to get into him as we break down his roster in the future. But Corey Kispert, man, NBA ready, 44% from three. I understand the defense point, but like you said, younger players just are, are going to take time to really dial in on that. And the fact that he's coming in with a, a clear attribute that he can be really good at and use and knowing his role for this team is a sign that, like, you can develop him properly you know on this roster and i think we can now get into the official bradley bill trade which I, i'm sorry it was weird because a, a lot of people especially on twitter by the way felt like the wizards should have got more of a return and i feel like people have to realize bradley bill while he had 230 points per game seasons for sure after those you saw the miles catch up to his legs he was getting hurt he had his most efficient season last year for sure but ultimately when you're making that much money like 50 million plus annually and you also have a no trade clause which means if the sons who traded for him now want to trade him bradley bill has to tell them yeah i'm fine with being traded it it severely handicaps the market of teams that are going to actively look for him and he's an older player which means now younger teams aren't really going to be interested it has to be a team that's trying to contend and win now so phoenix making a move for him made a ton of sense to me give me your thoughts on the return you guys got for bradley beal in your mind first before again to the return the fact that he got paid 50 million credit to priority sports his agency mark bartlestein his agent because yeah, they that is going to be considered one of the worst contracts in NBA history. And 
everyone's quick to blame Brad for that. Look, the dude balled out and he just signed the contract. Blame Tommy Shepard for being dumb enough to Absolutely. offer him what a guy like Giannis and a guy like Jokic should be getting paid for Bradley Beal, who is a third option on the Suns right now. You are going to give a max contract, a Jokic level contract, to someone who will not even be the second best player on a contending team. Just think of that first. Moving on into the actual trade. I just wanted to get rid of him. Like, look, Brad, I appreciate what you've done for the team, what you did for not only the team, but the community as a whole. He's a great person, great person to build a team around in terms of a human perspective. But it was never going to work out building around a third option as a number one option. So I just wanted to trade him. And when I heard that we were looking to move him and we were, you know, entering that phase after we had just fired our GM and hired two new guys to lead us, I knew we were going to we were going to make a move and, and go into the right direction. So that's all I cared about. I knew we weren't going to get as great of a turn as I expected the last couple of years because we had waited too long and people knew we were desperate. But the fact that we got what we got for a guy that, as you mentioned, had a no trade clause and was getting paid $50 million a year, that, that speaks volumes to the leadership we have here. If I can break down, this is everything we got just from the Bradley Beal trade. Chris yes, Paul, sir. Landry Shamit, number seven, number eight pick, or, yeah, from the Pacers. So we took um, 2024 first-round pick swap. We got a 2025 second-round pick. 2026 first-round pick swap. 2026 second-round pick swap. Or second-round pick. 2027 second-round pick. 2028 first-round pick swap. 2028 second-round pick. 2030 first-round pick swap. 2030 second-round pick. All of that for someone that I thought we would be trading for like a bag of chips. We weren't going to get that much for him. Uh, and we gave up Brad, we gave up Jordan Goodwin, which sucks. It's a guy that we brought up through the G League, had become a really good backup last season. And we traded Isaiah Todd, who is a bust. He's not good. Never going to be. So for us to get all of that, all the draft capital we eventually got for Brad, plus Chris Paul and Landry Shamit, who we could move for other pieces, as you saw with the pool trade, that was, that was more than enough for me. I expected to get a first-round pick or two, maybe like a pick swap or two and someone to match salaries like Chris Paul. Never did I think we would get all these pick swaps, all these second round picks and get someone like Landry Shamit, who we could hopefully move at the deadline. I was very happy with this. Not only, like I said before, I didn't care who we got. It was, all right, great trade. Who do we get? Brad's gone. We're rebuilding. If we can get some draft capital, that's okay with me. We can get some young talent. That's fine. But the the notion that we are moving on from Brad and moving on from this era and trying to transition into a rebuild, that is the best thing I got from this trade. The the return wasn't as important to me. See, I think that makes a lot of sense because a, a lot of people are basically saying, oh my God, Wizards fans, it's, it's tough. Like, how do you go through this and that, this and that? But when you finally commit to a move and you're no longer in the middle of are we going to try to win with Bradley Beal, Porzingis, and, and, and Kuzma? Are we going to overpay Kyle Kuzma? Are we going to do this and that and keep trying to win now? When you finally commit to a, okay, we're going to rebuild and we're going to see what fits and what doesn't, you're finally at the point where you can draft young players, you can actually put the time in on developing them since clearly that's the purpose of the season. You can get more assets and you can rebuild your cap space. Like now you have time to like fully commit to an idea that potentially in like maybe five, six years or whatever puts you back into a seat where you're actually contending and the vision long term is there. So I, I feel like for you, it gives you a sense of 
finally I have security. I, I know what we're committing to now compared to saying, do we have Bradley Beal? Do we don't? Do we pay him? Do we don't? Now it's easier sailing. Obviously, not as smooth, but you guys did get Jordan Poole from the Bradley Beal trade. I get that, like, it's technically Chris Paul, but you got Chris Paul because of Bradley Beal. So, so like, really, Poole's a part of the trade to me as well. Also, we gave you young draft capital for Chris Paul as well. I'll, you know, cry about that later. But the point is that getting Poole for Washington makes a ton of sense because for us at least, right? The ceiling of what Jordan Poole could do on the Warriors is different because the the veteran players with Steph, Clay, and Draymond, Poole would need to reach a certain level to be a starter on that type of team. His ceiling was probably going to be role player based on who is in front of him with Steph and Clay. And obviously Poole as a creator I would want him to be off of the bench to create once Steph's not in the game. That makes sense. But Poole's bigger than that, and he showed in the years that he played for my team that he has a high ceiling in terms of explosive outbursts of scoring, playmaking, one of the best rim finishers in the league. So for me, seeing him get traded to D.C. made sense because our ceiling as a team would be capped with his contract. Because essentially, essentially with the new CBA in place, if we kept Jordan Poole on a roster that had Steph, Clay, and Draymond, the ways we could improve with our old core would be very limited. Meanwhile, for Washington, you at least get a piece that will definitely provide some excitement, also has some potential as a very athletic scoring guard, or as an asset in the next two years that you can then flip to another team. So it makes a ton of sense. What are your thoughts on having Jordan Poole on the roster? It's going to be exciting. I know that for a fact. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, like you mentioned, his contract was the ultimate decision. Obviously, the beef with Draymond is also a factor, but you couldn't keep him getting paid, what is he, like 30, 32 a year on yeah. that contract and also keep your, your core three together. So you had to move him. His contract's actually one of the things I love most about this trade because he's he's on the Wizards for at least four more years at a salary that I think that I think is pretty fair for Jordan Poole, maybe a little bit high, but the fact that we have him retained for four years and if it doesn't work out like you mentioned, we can move on from him. If it does work out, we have him at thirty million dollars for the next four years. That's something that I loved about it. But look, if you go back to when we started this kind of rebuild. We had Bradley Beal and we had Chris Porzingis that we need to move on from. You traded Bradley Beal, like you mentioned, for Chris Paul. So from Chris Paul, Bradley Beal, and Chris Porzingis, we got Jordan Poole, we got Ryan Rollins, and Lan and um, Patrick Baldwin Jr., two 20- and 21-year-old um, picks from the Warriors that could be pretty good. And the best uh, we got Tyus point guard in the league in Tyus Jones, yep. Mm -hmm. Tyus Jones, which nobody's talking about, but he's going to be great. Leads the league and assists the turnover ratio pretty much every season. Is the point guard's point guard. He's going to be great. Landry Shamit, Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala, the 35th pick in, in the draft last year. A 20-30 protected first-round pick. Seven second-round picks and four pick swaps. All of that from Bradley Beal, Chris Asperzingas, and Chris Paul. The, the main piece, like you mentioned, is Jordan Poole. I 
I am not of the nature that Jordan Poole is a point guard. I, a lot of Wizards fans are looking to have him start at point guard and see what he has in that role. I'm fine with seeing what he has because we're not. It's not a title contention year. It's a rebuilding year. It's an assessment right. year. Might as well. It doesn't hurt to see what he has. If he's not good, he's not good. If he is great, I just think we have Tyus Jones, who's a who's a great point guard. Why would you not have Poole play off ball? I think Poole's uh, a scoring guard. He's a shooting guard. He can get a bucket when he wants. The one thing I've seen throughout the first couple of preseason games is he's settling for a lot of threes. And I don't know if you saw that a lot last year with the Warriors, especially when he was playing with guys like Steph and Dre and Clay, where if he's not getting a lot of space to create his own shot and to really cook like on, on the court, he just starts jacking up threes. And that's something I hope we avoid with Poole. He's really good when he's facilitating and creating for others and getting to the rim and that opens up his shot. When he's settling, like we saw a lot with the Warriors, all all you really all he is on the court is a is a shooter, and he brings his game to a level that is much lower than it needs to be. He could play on such high level if he's trying to score from each phase of the game. The another thing that that is concerning is the defense. Even through two preseason games, I've seen he bites on every every pump fake from the yes, three point line. I mean, every single he bites on everything. And then the defense collapsed. We overhelp. There's an easy layup. There's a wide open three. He needs to be way more disciplined on defense. And look, he's not a great defender. We don't care about that. People in this league can win championships as a number one option without being great on defense. Look at Jokic last season. He was one of the worst interior defenders in the league. But if you can score and you can make others better on offense, you can build a roster around you with good enough defense and good enough rebounding to succeed. The defense is an issue. The forcing threes is an issue but from a potential standpoint over the next two or three years in this system that will be built around him and Kuz his potential is limitless and I think he's just going to get better as we go on yeah with Jordan Poole you said my main issues with him on this roster and again like I will never shortchange what he did for the year that we won the title I feel like he provided necessary shot creation outside of Steph in terms of a guard who can bring the ball from the three-point line to the paint but the issue is the consistency of his play style because when he's getting downhill he's one of the fastest guards in the league I'm pretty sure he's in like the 92nd percentile in terms of first step quickness in the league that's just how good he is and he was a very efficient guy through I'm pretty sure he shot like 80 percent last year at the basket the problem is he settles for threes a lot. He really wants to shoot a lot of long threes, local threes, and that's fine. But if his goal is to get to the basket more, that opens up his game so much because now it's like, well, damn, is he going left? Is he going right? Shot, right? Like, that's how good Jordan Poole can be. The problem is when you take that shot diet into, you know, sorry, when you add this shot diet, right, to a guy that defensively is terrible, bites for a lot of things, gets into foul trouble sometimes, and can just make, you know, costly choices. For a team that's trying to contend, it's harder to buy into that vision, especially with the contract that he's on. But he's still a very young NBA player. And that's why I think DC makes a ton of sense because at least he gets years to like really develop and find a sense of real maturity to his game. Because the skills are absolutely there. It's just filling out the fundamental aspects of the game with that. And I like your point. 
No one's talking about Tyus Jones and it bothers me because Tyus Jones was the best backup point guard in the NBA. I was really monitoring what was going to happen with him because Memphis wasn't going to pay him. So I knew he was going to go. But seeing DC get him, I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And literally in the first play in preseason, the first bucket you guys got versus Charlotte, like he, I remember he's in the corner drives throws a oop gafford slams it down just like the quick playmaking how he gets the ball out of his hands quickly i think ty should absolutely be the point guard and i think pool um as a guy that catches the ball and can just attack close us with his speed and how pool you know is gonna find ways to get to that free throw line i think that can pay a lot of dividends for this team early on ironically enough we haven't talked at all about kyle kuzma and i really want to do that because Kyle Kuzma, man, he's good. And I say this because obviously he played his role on a team that won a title in, in 2020 for the Lakers. But in DC specifically, the amount of like rebounds he just gets with his frame and the big shots he hits at the end of each game, Kuzma has been a marvel. And even in this preseason, I'm pretty sure he scored like 13 or, or 15 points in one quarter, I was watching the game and it's like, damn, just bully ball, bully ball. And he's already come out and talked about wanting to be a more efficient version of himself that doesn't settle. And the like that mindset so far, I'm seeing it. He's been very efficient in preseason. What are your thoughts knowing that you have Kyle Kuzma, Jordan Poole and Tyus Jones as like your three, I would say leaders on this team right now? Leader is a perfect word because who's as we talked about a lot uh he he's going to be a leader of this team I, I was fortunate enough to go to media day uh i think two weeks ago for the wizards and someone asked who's how do you how do you transition to a role of being a leader how do you know what to say you know what to do he basically said look i have to lead by example i have to show people that i mean it instead of just telling them that means working at very hard being the first one in the gym being the last one to leave the gym he wants this role as a leader and the same goes for pool so i'm excited to see him as as a leader off the court and on the court on the court though a lot of people believe it's going to be kuz and pool offense built around both of them this is kuzma's team if you looked at the first two preseason games it's everything ran through him every single action tyus jones brought the ball up sometimes but it all runs through Kuz. He's going to get the most shots on the team. He's going to get the most points on the team. He put up 20 points or 16 points in the first half against the Hornets the other day. He knows how to get to the bucket. He has this weird move where he's like off balance and like stumbling to the rim, but he always regains it and, and somehow finishes through contact. Yeah, it's he had, crazy. He had four, he had four and ones in the first half against the Hornets. He's not just a shooter. He's not going to settle like he did when we played with Brad and KP. We're going to see him more with the ball in his hands, facilitating for others. And look, he had four turnovers. He's going to turn the ball over. So is Poole. Like, that's just going to happen when you're trying to develop as a playmaker. But as it goes on, as he watches film and sees all of these things that he's doing uh, wrong on offense, he's only going to get better. So what people need to realize when they're watching this team is don't get on these players when they're making mistakes like Kuz and Poole because it's going to happen. And that's good because they're learning for the future. And number two, this is Kuzma's team. He's going to lead him in scoring. He's going to average 20 to 25 a game. Hopefully, it's efficient. That's the main thing with him and Poole. 
they're going to get their buckets, but if they're shooting less than 40% from the field, less than like 34% from three, that's not good. They're not building good habits. That's what Kuz talked about again at media day. If we're losing, but we're losing the right way and we're building good habits, are they really losses or are they just win like minor wins that you're stacking for the future? Right. If you look at it from that perspective, you won't get as upset when they lose games. You won't get as upset when they make mistakes and you'll take a more patient approach with the team. So I'm excited because I've seen Kuz in LA where he was a sixth man and then he came here. He was the third option and he played very well, knew his role. And now he's the leader of this team. And do I see him as a long-term option at number one, like number one option? I don't. I think he could be a number two option, but who knows? People, we've seen crazier things. Like Giannis was one of the worst players in the league his first three to four seasons. And now he's the best player in the league. Stuff like this can just randomly happen. And hopefully something like that happens with Poole as well. We saw Kevin Garnett go on his podcast and compare his situation to Harden's. I'd love for him to turn into James Harden. That would be great for not only my team, but for Poole and for the future of, of DC uh, basketball. So I'm excited to see Kuz in that, not only that leader role, but as that focal point of the offense where he's the main part, main priority of the game plan. People are keying in on him, and I want to see how he responds. Well said, man. I mean... Kuzma is the best player on this team. And I know that like Poole has a very high ceiling and we know exactly what he can get to sometimes. But the guy that is going to be involved a lot, especially as your primary source of wing scoring, is going to be Kyle Kuzma. And again, I think your point about him potentially settling is great because remember, when you're playing next to Bradley Beal and... A Chris, a Chris last year, who was the second most efficient, like player in the league on post ups last year. You have to buy into like that three and D catch and shoot type of role more. But now that they're gone, Kuzma's responsibilities on ball are gonna go up to me, and his responsibility at consistently attacking the rim, getting to the free throw line, and putting pressure on the basket. That's going to make him a bit more consistent because now he has more time to feel the game out, to see what he's doing right or wrong. And the fact that his mindset is on trying to be a more efficient player is great because he's going to have to have that mindset for a full 82. So I think that matters. But I really want to get to something I'm very excited for. I haven't told you this, right? So my last name is Kulibaly. I haven't said that on the podcast. I'm saying it now. My last name is Kulibaly. So when I saw Bai Lao right. hooping overseas with Victor Wembiana, because I'm a hoop head, like I just love basketball. So me seeing Victor, I'm like, wait a minute. Who is this guy that has my last name that's mm -hmm. balling? And I look up his his uh, tape. I watch like four games and it's like, oh, he's really good on defense. He's, he's very athletic. He doesn't say anything. He's like a stone cold killer and just plays. And I'm like, oh, so they got Bailao too? I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. Mm -hmm. I really want to get your thoughts on Bailao. Obviously, he's a project, but I think defensively, he's coming in like that. I, I think he'll be a very strong to nearly elite, not quite elite, because I don't like to put that on first-year players. But I think he fits in perfectly with what you're trying to establish. And I hope that this team understands that and he gets the time and the minutes necessary because... A wing who can play that level of defense with blocks, steals, uh, guarding guards and bigs 
that versatility in the NBA is the future. So I really want to see what your thoughts are on him. Bilal really came on towards the end of the draft process. He wasn't really touted as a top prospect until the end when he came up with Wemby and was kind of holding his own with the better uh, French team over there in France. Um, like from that perspective as a, as a fan, I was honed in on guys like Taylor Hendricks, Cam Whitmore maybe at that spot. Right. Nobody was considering this guy because they brought him in. He was the the only pre-draft workout he did was for the Wizards, but it was never reported. We had no idea about that. And we get to the seventh pick and we end up trading up for him. We gave up a second round pick, which by the way, I don't care about. I thought that was a great move. If I have a guy that I want and I have to give up a second round pick for him, go get him. to move up one spot, go get him. I would have given up four. I don't care. If, if that's your guy, that's your guy. So making that move to get up for him, not only did it show me that other teams wanted him because we we didn't have like we didn't have to make that trade. Indiana was always going to go the route Indiana went, but with with Jarris Walker at, at eight. But other teams were like Utah tried to trade up to seven to get Koulibaly. That that's how we knew from a fan's perspective that he was like that. He was good, and other teams knew how good he was. So for us to get him, look, he's six six. I think he's like six eight with shoes, but he's six six. His wingspan is off the charts. He's really lanky can get his hands at passing lanes and just based on the first two preseason games like you said he's like that on defense he's a wall he can hold his own he played against an nbl team so competition wasn't that great but he had three steals in three minutes he had four steals against the hornets the other night he's just a menace on on defense if you saw he had a two-hand block on bryce mcgowan's that just yes it was, it was one of the crazy it was one it was of crazy the, it was one of the craziest defensive plays i've ever seen just up with two hands completely just packs that that up and and goes on and he's great in transition as well so from a defensive perspective he is the all of the tools to be one of the best defenders a perennial all defensive type player the only issue is offensively he's yep. really raw look i'm i'm 19 like i said i i just took a political science test yesterday like that's what i'm doing at this age like most people this man is in the league playing against guys like eventually lebron and steph like he is so young and so raw in terms of talent. He has a long way to go. But us rebuilding, he should have three to four years before we're really title contenders to hone in on his offensive skills, to develop his shot, to develop his ha ball handling skills. So we have that option of time on our side to just sit down and work on him offensively. And I think he's going to get there. He made two threes the other night against Charlotte, went two of three. He's, he's a decent finisher, gets out and runs in transition. Like He's not as far away offensively as some might think, but he does have a long way to go. And as we saw in the first two preseason games, he's relegated to the corner. He he doesn't really, he's not much of a factor offensively. But if he can play defense and work on those skills, he has the abilities to develop into a, a really good two-way player. And what I've liked about what the Wizards have done recently is, as you see with the pick of Denny Avdia, Johnny Davis, Bilal Kulabali, all of them are really good defensively. They can work on their game offensively if you develop them, but the defensive skills that they possess are, they're not unteachable, but they're tough to teach and they're tough to find. So to pair all of those guys with Wes Anso Jr., who's the defensive-minded head coach, I like that philosophy of pairing your coach with your, with your draft picks and trying to build a culture of defense on this team. So for Bilal to come in here as a really good defender, I think this guy is the limit for him. It's going to take some time and we have to be patient with him. Um, but as you mentioned, the NBA minutes are key. 
Wes Onsel Jr. said he might do what he did with Johnny Davis and put him in the G League. I'm vehemently against that. You have the option of playing him with the NBA guys. Why would you play him in the G League? You don't have to win right now. You have the luxury of not having those expectations on your on your shoulders. So right. just play him. Throw him into the deep end. See if he can swim. If he can't, then you know what you have to work on. He's going to play well against G Leaguers, and I don't think you can really assess what areas you need to develop in, in the G League. So I hope he stays with the team. I hope he starts. I hope he plays a lot of minutes. And he's not going to be great, but eventually he will be. And that's what I'm excited for. Yeah, man, I I really think that this year should be a year for the Wizards where you're literally just saying we are focused on player development. These players are going to get the time to, to play their minutes because normally contending teams, right? For instance, if like the Sixers or like some other team that's like in that conversation, or whatever, drafts him, he's in the G League and that's perfectly fine. But when you're on a team that is just trying to figure things out, there's no reason to send him to to a G League when he could get NBA reps right now. And the biggest reason why I'm emphasizing he should play in the NBA is because he's a defensive first guy. And what happens normally is when you're a defensive-minded guy first, your offense takes some time, sure. But even on offense, Bailao has some moments where, oh, he's taking mid-ranges. Oh, he took a pull-up mid-range and made it in preseason, right? Like, these are things that he's going to need more time to develop. And getting it versus NBA competition exclusively versus G League, I think, is a better look for him. And because he's a positive on the defensive end, that means even if he's not that good offensively, he's a positive on the court somewhere. Most people that come in with that profile aren't going to be that good to start out. But the fact that his defense looks legit as a first-year player, I think that alone earns him some bump on this roster. I agree. You look at a guy like Patrick Williams in Chicago. He came in as a fourth pick and great defender supposedly offense is a little bit raw but he couldn't really hold his own on defense he had some moments but he was still getting beat he wasn't playing up to the standard they needed him to play and when your offense is lacking and you're not like you mentioned a net positive on defense it's hard to find you minutes and that's something that we're gonna have to consider this season we have people like Tyus, Gafford, Kuz, Poole, all the veterans on our team Delon, Gallinari they want to win they're here to win and I don't think they're going to like it if we're playing guys like Bilal and Johnny consistently and they're the ones that are getting beat on defense and they're the ones that are really selling on offense and, and not bringing what they need to bring and it's hurting everyone else. And these guys want to compete at the end of the day. No one's going to just throw in the towel and lose. But sometimes when you're trying to develop players, you don't. You know, the talent gap is just too much to overcome. The fact that Johnny and Bilal are net positives on defense for the most part, especially Bilal, that helps when you're trying to play them. That helps when with other guys respecting your decisions to play them. And that's one thing we need. We need Kuz and we need Poole and other guys to buy into this process. And I think they have for the most part. They know it's going to take some time. They know Bilal might not be the better option than Landry Shamit for right now. But for the future, he definitely is. And if they're going to be here for the long haul, playing him over Shamit, although it might not give you the best chance to win now, in a year or two or three, it's going to pay very good dividends for you. So if we just take that approach to where we let him play his defense and improve on offense, I'm, I'm fine with that. I hear that, man. I hear that. Well, we are officially here where I'm going to specifically ask you, Greg. 
in your mind, what are your specific 2024 expectations from this team? What are the biggest things that you want to see from this team? But also, long-term, what are you expecting for the season for this Washington team? Do you think they make the play-in? Are they not a play-in team? Where are you at with the Washington Wizards for 2024? Look, my expectations are low, but that doesn't mean that I think we can't be decent. The fact that we're projected the lowest win total in Vegas, I think is just stupid. Like, we have talent. We're not the Pistons or the Magic of the last couple of years or the Rockets where we just have a bunch of draft picks and no real veterans and we're just throwing them into the fire and hoping that they get better. That's not what we're doing. We have two NBA champions that are starting for the Wizards, Jordan Poole, Kyle Kuzma. Both just averaged 20 points per game last season. Poole in a down season averaged 20 points per game. Now they have free reign to be scorers and be top options on our team. Daniel Gafford can hold his own on, on defense. He's a good rim protector. Struggles with the bigger guys like Embiid and Jokic, but who doesn't? I think in that starting role, a bigger role for Gafford, he'll be good. Dias Jones, as you mentioned, the best backup point guard of the last couple of years is now starting for the Wizards. He gets that opportunity. I think he's going to do great here. And the rest of the roster is, it's pretty mid. I mean, we have a bunch of young guys that are okay and trying to make that step from being a, a younger player to being a like a established player in this league. We're seeing that from Kispert, and hopefully we see it from Denny. And then you have a bunch of veterans like Gallinari, Muscala, Shamit, Delon Wright. Those guys are proven veterans in this league that can help. We are playing maybe three or four, probably four draft picks that we of our own from the last couple of years in our rotation. The other five or six players are proven veterans. So it's not like we just have a bunch of you know, people that with potential that we're, we're playing on our starting lineup. We have a decent team, and I think we're definitely going to get past the 24-25 win mark. In my, my podcast I did the other day previewing the, the season, I want to have them at like 32-33 wins. I really do. But I have them at 28, and here's why. I think at the deadline, we see three or four of these guys moved. I think Shamit has moved. I think Gallinari has moved. Muscala could be moved. There's potential for even a guy like Tyus Jones to be moved and a guy like DeLon Wright to be moved because those are yep. people that contending teams covet and they want. And if we don't view them as long-term pieces, you might as well move on from them, being that all of them, all five I just named, are on expiring deals. So the time to move on from them would be now. If you like what you see with Tyus, I'd like to keep him. But in terms of the other four guys, they're not going to be here next season. You should move on from them. And once that happens, then we're going to be a team like the Rockets where... We have a couple of veterans, still more than they do, but we just, the talent gap is going to be too great. And we're going to see a drop off in terms of just, we were playing well in the first half and then we decided to sell at the deadline and we're not going to play as well. So I think we're going to do good in the first half of the season, but we're just, we're not going to have the talent we need in the second half to keep that going. And that's why we're not going to get to 30 wins this season. I have met at 28 wins. Hopefully we do better. I'm not, this isn't a season where I'm hoping we lose every game. And that's something I've been trying to preach to Wizards fans. I'm not going to tell you how to root. I'm not going to tell you how to be a fan. But from my perspective, my philosophy on the season is it's a retool year. It's not a rebuild year. The real rebuild will happen a year from now after we're sellers to the deadline and after we decide what we want to do with Kuz and Pool in the future. This season is a development season to focus on player development, to focus on how we can play the guys we need to play to build up their trade value. And if we're good, we're good. It doesn't matter. The draft class this season isn't that great. But when you get to next season, you have Cooper Flag, you have Boozer, you have all of Gotta these great generational prospects. You have to hit 
And that's why winning the season isn't that big a deal. If we make the play-in, like, great. Same thing as the Thunder last year. No expectations. You make the play-in. That's fine by me. But right now, I would have him at 28 wins. Love the honesty. I, I got to say, I wasn't expecting the sass, like, we're not the Pistons and the Rockets of old. I'm yeah. so, so, like, I got to be honest with you, right? How I view mm -hmm. it, I agree with everything you said. I think this is a season where they're just trying to see what pieces fit, what's going to get traded out, what won't be traded out. I think your point about Ty Jones is a great one because most contending teams would like a, a guard like Tyus to be like their sixth guard who can come in and really dictate pace. That would be solid for them. And I even think that with Kuzma and Poole, the fit of how the team looks with these guys and how mature they are, like all that matters for sure. But ultimately, you're evaluating this roster as a roster that will be sellers. My question to you is, so, so if you have them winning 28 games, if you had to put a seed on it in the East, do you think they're the worst team in the East? Or do you think they're like one or two steps above that? I mean, I I definitely don't think they're going to be near the top 10. I feel like that's like a 37 okay. to 42 type of of uh, team. Uh, like in terms of record, 30, 37 to 42 wins is usually what gets you that playing spot. Right. Uh, even for the 10th spot, it's tough because a lot of the teams, like I mentioned, even with like the Pistons and the Magic, they are getting veterans and they're moving from that rebuild phase to, okay, we're going to try to compete here. But if you look at the East, like Boston, Brooklyn, New York, Philly, Toronto, all those teams from the Atlantic Division, they're all going to be great. They're all in front of the Wizards. If you move to the Central Division, the Cavs, the Pacers, the Bucks, they're for sure going to be in front of the Wizards. And I'd even put the Bulls in there. They have their injury problems, but they still have DeRozan and Levine. They're not going to be that bad. Right. Same with Vucevic. So I, I would put them in front of us. And then you move on to the Southeast Division, the Wizards Division. The Hawks are going to be better. The, the Heat are going to be better. And I think the Magic are going to surprise a lot of people. I think they're going to be better. So that leaves the Wizards, that leaves the Pistons, and that leaves the uh, the Hornets. I think the Pistons are going to be better. It's the same thing. They have good veterans. Kate Cunningham is back this season. Jalen Duran is is going to be a starting uh, a center with them. They have their draft pick of uh, Asar Thompson. They're going to be decent this season. I'll put them at 13, and then it's the Wizards and the Hornets at 14 and 15. The Hornets are going to be terrible. I think the Hornets are one of the worst <laughs> constructed rosters. And that's coming from a Wizards fan that also has one of the worst weighted, rated rosters in the league. But they have yeah. culture problems, man. You see everything that's happening with Kai Jones and everything that's happened with Miles Bridges. You know, giving him a contract when people think he shouldn't have. They have a lot of issues culturally. And their roster around Lamelo is not even that great. Like, they have... At, at this point, you would have already drafted a co-star to him. Maybe Brandon Miller can be that. But I just don't see it with them. So, I think it's going to be between us and the Hornets. And look... The thing about the NBA now is the bottom three teams all have the same odds. It doesn't necessarily matter. So right. I don't think it's going to matter if we get 14 or 15. I think the Western Conference is like around 12 to 13 teams similar to the East that can really make the playoffs. So those bottom teams are kind of just going to be playing and, and it falls where it falls. Maybe some team out tanks another, but the number one pick sometimes isn't even from that group. It's from someone else outside of the top three draft odds. So I think I would put us definitely outside the top 12 and then if i had to 
pick a certain spot, I put us at 14, behind Detroit and above Charlotte. Okay. Um, I hear that. I I would agree with you on Charlotte. Um, I I don't know how good that team's going to be because I don't even know who's playing at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to say for DC, it's going to be a very interesting season. For me personally, um, I'm a root for Jordan Poole. I've always liked Kyle Kuzma. He's been like a, a very solid rebounder guy that hits big shots. I always rock with that. Tyus Jones, again, to me, he has been one of the best backup point guards. And obviously, that Kulibaly connection that I feel with Bailao, and also the fact that I sat down and, and watched him play overseas, I'm rooting for him as well. So definitely going to be tuning in to watch some Wizards games. I can't lie, like, I'm going to watch a full 82 but I'm going to have like a spreadsheet where I'm going to track exactly how many games I watch for each and every team. So there will mm-hmm. definitely be some time to watch some Wizards basketball. Greg, I got to say, I appreciate you coming on. We've never met and we've only had like like brief conversations. But but I got to say, this was a great conversation to have about your team. Hopefully, I was able to have enough knowledge to go back and forth with you. I, uh, obviously, you watch way more Wizards hoops than I do. But um <laughs> Great conversation, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. Uh, by the way, if you're watching this, make sure you watch the rest of his content. Obviously, I met him yesterday through DM, but I watched probably about two to three hours of just going through his content and just watching. And I learned so much about every team that I watched. So definitely make sure to, to check out all of his stuff. And again, appreciate you for, for having me on. This is a lot of fun. I always like talking about my team. So. Hey man, thanks because I'm still learning. Um, I used to just do film study on Twitter and just like we show clips about here's the help side, here's the POA defense, here's why the Lakers look different at the trade deadline. But but now like I'm, I'm actually pumping out like content and this podcast. Like I told myself, okay, most creators after the NBA season ends, they take a break for about three months and they come back. I said, okay, let. Like what what project can I do that that's gonna make me consistently upload and have content all offseason? And I said, you know what? If I go through all 30 teams, break down their current roster, their build, their current vision, how good they can be, I think that's a good way to keep everyone stimulated. And also I can learn more about every single roster. Because obviously I like basketball. I'm a Warriors fan, but I don't just watch the Warriors. I like basketball first, so I watch a ton of basketball. So I've literally just been reaching out to random creators. Also, make sure to go support Greg. I mean, your podcast is dope. I heard your episodes, how you, you guys were breaking down the uh, preseason. This isn't just a one-shot thing where I'm going to get this guy and we're going to talk with you and then I'll never see you again. Hopefully, we keep you know tabs up during the season. For sure, yeah. I try to do that with every creator because it's hard to like create content on the NBA stay consistent it's hard trust me I know it's hard I've gone through like many growing phases with that but I appreciate all your words on that because my goal with this is to at least give people some perspective on each different team before the season starts and then after the season ends we can come back to these like okay we said these were the expectations how did the season pan out what were the biggest uh expectation busters what were the biggest surprise you know like things things of that nature mm-hmm. and now i've been doing this podcast for so long we're literally 10 days away from the nba i can't wait greg honestly i'm excited as well man 
I'm not looking forward to a title contention run like you might be, but I'm excited to finally have a direction and and just see where it folds. It's going to be a fun season. It's always fun when you watch a team with no expectations. You can just kind of be a fan. You don't have to be too, like, pressed about when they lose. You don't have to be too upset when they lose. You can just kind of watch and and have fun with it. So that's what I'm going to try to do. 100% Greg. Well, I will put all of your links in the description below. For the viewers who made it this far, you guys are troopers. appreciate all the support that we've been getting. Uh, Make sure to download this episode on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, make sure to tap into Greg's podcast about the Washington Wizards on Apple Podcasts as well. Those links will be in the description and we'll catch you with the next upload for another team. We have 10 days left. I have like eight teams to cover. So we're going to be getting this content out here. I actually have another podcast, ironically, right after this one about the Trailblazers. So should be fun. But Greg, hope you have a good one. Again, we will keep in touch. Peace out, people. Have a good one. And remember, appreciate basketball. The NBA season is right around the corner. Peace out.